so Primoz Rolich is the winner of the 2019 Tour of Spain. And I have a funny story about um, a Slovenian mechanic back when I was at, at Team Sky, who, when I tried to meet him, he was, he was very standoffish. He was very nervous. And I'm like, wait a second, I, I, I've been, I'm retired. I'm not a rider anymore. Let's, let's hang out. Let's talk. And he goes, I'm sorry, I'm so nervous, but you know you're a hero in, in Slovenia. I said, what are you talking about? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you, your podium finish in the 1998 Tour de France was just lit the country on fire. I said, but that makes no sense. I'm American. He goes, no, you have Slovenian roots because your last name, Julik. And I said, yeah, we pronounce it Julik, not Julich. And he said, yeah, but we all thought that you had some Slovenian background. So we actually, you were on the news, you were like a, a national hero. And I don't know if he was just blowing smoke up my butt, <laughs> but I just thought that was pretty funny. But let's just say that Slovenia has their own superstars now, uh, confirmed yeah. with, with uh, Primoz Rolic and Tajay Pogacar. Dude, you got to get down to uh, Slovenia and, you know... <laughs> Just sort of soak it in. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Put Your Socks On, where we take a peek under the hood of the sport of professional cycling with myself, Angus Morton, and as always, cycling legend, Bobby Julik. Mate, how are you doing? All good here, Gus. Have another great show for y'all today. Hope you guys don't mind me using y'all, but down here in South Carolina, <laughs> I'm getting kind of comfortable with it. So um, yeah, what a week it's been in the world of professional cycling. Great racing on both sides of the pond. With the Vuelta, we had the conclusion of the men's race as well as the women's. Uh, they had a two-day event there in Madrid. Yeah, coming to a very exciting close there. We had the Tour of Britain, which we'll talk about. Grand Prix Montreal, Grand Prix Quebec. Obviously, many of the usual suspects are showing their form for the upcoming World Championships in Yorkshire. So expect some great racing there as well. Uh, we also will answer our fan question. So don't forget to email us at superfan at velonews.com for your chance to win a pair of super cool Fizzo socks. Uh, side note, after this last week, which has been just phenomenal racing to watch, I just want to mention how great this, the racing has been all year long, all year. We, we just thought that the world of professional cycling became, you know, very robotic, very controlled, very boring. But man, this entire season has just been so much fun to watch. And it's not even over yet. We got a lot more to go. So looking forward to getting this episode going. I would agree with you, Bobby. It's uh, this year is really, I don't know if it's just uh, my proximity to the sport or my perspective on it right now, but it seems that, yeah, the racing this year has been a lot more electric and we've seen a lot more players uh, at the pointy end of the races. It's been fantastic. So hopefully we can uh, see that continue into 2020 and certainly uh, the World Championships, which will cap the year off in a couple of weeks' time. Let's touch on the news uh, of the week. Brailsford revealed that he underwent surgery for prostate cancer. Uh, he kind of kept that all under wraps. Uh, and there's quite an interesting uh, interview I was reading with him on that and and uh, him talking about like work-life balance and kind of getting a perspective, which is sort of interesting to hear. I wonder if it's uh, maybe heralding a, a retreat from Brailsford uh, from, from such a hands-on role in that team or, or what, but uh, best of health to him. Absolutely. Dave is a fantastic manager. We wish him the best in, in his recovery and all of our thoughts and prayers to go out to him through this, th through this next period of recovery. Absolutely. Uh, on team Ineos again and Froome, who uh, has sort of been doing regular interviews, I guess, um, after pretty long radio silence, has now stated that he wants to be racing before the end of this year, um, which would be remarkable. And uh, so anyway, yeah, he sort of stated that. Uh, I think he means, well, he, he, he said that he means uh, the, there's a couple of criteriums he normally does in Japan and a few of the off-season events uh, at the end of the year. 
not not uh, not throwing the leg over in a in a professional race. But yeah, good luck to him. I mean, if anyone can do it, I feel like he's the guy. Oh, a hundred percent. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. I just hope that he's careful. You know, those criteriums at the end of the season, you know, aren't aren't big races. And I hope that he takes his time with his recovery. And when he comes back, he comes back for good and doesn't have like maybe have to take a step back after one of those races. But I think to get his competitive juices flowing again, uh, he's been sitting on his hands since his crash in the in the Dauphiné. And knowing Chris, um, he's just itching to get out there. But let's just hope that he he and his doctors make the right decision with his his plan of recovery as well. Yeah, exactly right. We want to see him back next year uh, and fighting at the Tour de France with all the sports top GC riders. Let's talk transfers. There's a couple of interesting transfers to do with American riders uh, this week. Paulus, we've been speaking about him a lot. Uh, over the last three weeks, watching him in the Vuelta, Neil pa- Nielsen Palace. Uh, and he's he's announced his move to EF, education. So that will be, um, I mean, I feel like that's an interesting move given how strong Jumbo Visma has been this year um, across the board and how, you know, they've, they've sort of brought a bunch of young guys uh, through over the last couple of seasons and we're seeing, we're seeing the, that work kind of bear fruit. So I think, you know, on paper it might seem like an odd move um, but it seems as though, yeah, he's just looking to find a bit more of a comfortable environment um, and, and, and he's looking for that on an American team. So, hey, you never know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he goes from strength to strength and uh, we'll be seeing him in the pink and blue kit uh, next year instead of the yellow and black, which is, yeah, that'll, that'll be cool. There's also Dombrowski to UAE which is another interesting move. He started his career at Team Sky, uh, very young. He would have been, was he there when you, when you were there, Bobby? Yeah, right, uh, as, right at the beginning of their career, yeah. him and Ian, um, I, was, I was there for a little bit. Yeah, and so he's, uh, he's obviously then spent a couple of years there, spent five years, I think, over at uh, Cannondale and uh, EF Education. And, uh, and now he's moving on to UAE. So that'll be interesting. He's sort of, um, he's been knocking on the door. He had a really good performance this year at the, at the Giro. He was 12th overall. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see if he can, uh, can take that next step uh, at UAE. So that'll be cool. And then there's another, I guess sort of, this is to do with teams, but there's um, rumblings of, of a merger between Katusha and Israel Cycling Academy believed to be in their final stages so that will be interesting because there's been rumors that Katusha have lost both Canyon and uh, Alperson as sponsors uh, and were struggling to find you know a, a gap to fill that and uh, and as we've seen in the off-season signings with Israel Cycling Academy they're making a big push for for some star riders and some UCI points so it was obvious that they were wanting to make the step up to World Tour in order to guarantee a start at the Tour de France and it looks like that's going to happen so keep an eye on that in the next um, next couple of weeks I think so a little bit of change of scenery but it's you know if this comes off I mean it would be good there's 10 riders still under contract at Katusha I believe and so it'll be good you know that they're guaranteed jobs otherwise uh, yeah they'd be up the creek let's talk about racing the Tour of Britain and well, the Tour de Vanderpol. You hit it on the head there. I mean, <laughs> that race was just blown apart by one guy. And every day watching the stage finishes, he just came through with the goods like time after time. I mean, how good it's is ridiculous. this kid? It's ridiculous. Like when you watch him, he's so good that you almost like, I can't work out if I like love him and he's my most favorite bike rider or like I hate him and he's my least favorite bike rider because he just does it with such ease and every time. And you just look at him, you're like, that's, yeah, it's just stunning. It's like, it's amazing to watch. Um, absolute class. Yeah, that stage four sprint was yeah, was sensational. I mean, rarely do you see someone make some of the best riders in the world look like cyclotourists in a sprint. And when he went, he wasn't just dropping cyclotourists off his wheel. He was dropping some of the best guys that came out of the Tour de France. And the explosion that he had... And the determination that he had, um, we haven't seen that in a while. You know, I think Sagan had a couple of those types of things when he was a little bit younger. Now he's so marked that 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 doesn't happen as much. Mm. But um, yeah, that had everyone taking notice when he made that sort of move, dropping those sort of riders in stage four. 
Exactly right. And then Gronewagen uh, winning stage five from a sprint. Um, Vanderpol was up there again in the finish there. Actually, Trenton took the lead back off of Vanderpol on stage five. And then subsequently in stage six in the TT, Vanderpol uh, rode a really impressive TT and ended up putting uh, putting time into putting enough time to take back that jersey into Trenton, which is I mean, yeah, like we saw Trenton's win at the Tour de France was absolute class. You know, he won on a mountain stage uh, or a climbing day and, and he's a, you know, could mix it in bunch sprints. So like it's not like there was a uh, a weak field at the race at all. You know, he was just, uh, he just really is on another level. I just have a question. You know, he finished sixth in the time trial, 12 seconds behind Eduardo Alfini from Michelton Scott, right? Mm-hmm. He just came off of riding his mountain bike all summer. Then he jumps on his road bike. I very much doubt that he has been training much on his time trial bike. And to come that close to the win after playing roulette with his his equipment is, is also impressive. And I saw a picture of him on the internet. He has a very good position. So um, yeah. man, this, this guy is just, uh, just dangerous across the board no matter what the terrain is. Yeah, he's made to ride a bike. And um, I mean, he deserves his own, in like his racing schedule and perspective on riding like deserves its own episode um, because he's re- he's remarkable and he's definitely revolutionising the sport. Um, and there's some interesting stuff going on with uh, with who owns his team and Sunweb and some interesting things because bigger companies bought um, bought both those those Sunweb and, and Corridon. Um, so his future in the sport will be interesting. I think. Um, it would be remiss of, of the UCI to let him slip through their fingers uh, by sort of taking a hard line stance on whether he has to, you know, spend more time on the road or mountain bike or, or how he does that and uh, and what the rules allow. But yeah, I um, man, again, he won uh, stage seven, <laughs> uh, winning over Matteo Trenton. Yeah. Look, this this time just... was a little different though. You know, Trenton is a smart guy. I mean, he's got a lot of experience. So he was on point. When when Vanderpol attacked, right, and it looked like mm-hmm. he had the drop on him because they were coming into the final 300 meters, and then he kicks again, and all Trentine could do because he was absolutely in the red, just staying on his wheel, and when he kicked again, all he could do was shake his head. I mean, this is the European <laughs> road race champion, Tour de France stage winner, shaking his head. That says a lot. That says a hell of a lot. Yeah, and I think like you know, coming into the World Championships you know consistently beating a guy like um trenton as you said who's a very cagey bike rider and a very accomplished bike rider vanderpol has to be as the favorite he's definitely one of them there's no doubt about it there's no doubt about it and he'll be probably the sole leader of that team which will make a big difference compared to a, a team like belgium but uh, we'll save that for our preview of the world's podcast and to finish it all off if that week wasn't enough he decides to win a group sprint on stage eight as well. And I was on a British team and have a lot of British friends. And let's just call this, quote, taking the piss. With, <laughs> totally. I mean, you just can't beat this guy. He's going to drop you off his wheel going uphill. He's going to be fast enough to beat you on the flats. He's going to be able to be right in the mix in the time trials. But... Taking the piss is exactly yeah. what he did. And I guarantee you that the riders in the race were thinking that same thing. Like, man, like, this guy is just, you know, just taking everything on the table. Yeah, it's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> He's just too good. He got all the good genes. Uh, yeah, fantastic race there. And, congratulations uh, to him and his team. Major you know, you congratulations. Don't, you don't get put in those positions by just being a rogue uh, obviously, his team worked together as well. So, um, congratulations to them. A, a smaller team, uh, not talked about so much, coming through with a, a big win in the Tour of Britain. Yeah, sticking it to the man. I like it. <laughs> There's a couple of other big races this week. Uh, the Canadian One Days, the World Tour One Days, GP Quebec, Cycliste Quebec, and then the GP Montreal. Uh, they were almost like a little mini world champs in themselves because um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the really big hitters for the for the, the guys that were expecting to be big hitters in the world uh, show showed up and yeah they, they were, it was it was it was aggressive racing 
Yeah, all the usual suspects are ready, and they confirm that. Um, GB Quebec is one of the coolest races of the year. I never raced it personally, but uh, drove in the car a couple times uh, with different teams that I was on. And that that circuit is is so cool. You come up through yeah. the old town of Quebec, the, you know, the old walled city, you pass the hotel. Yeah. Um, super, super neat course. But uh, yeah, let's just say, you know, the big boys came out to play, um, you know, coming into the final there, you had Sagan, Greg Van Evermet, Alaphilippe and Cabrelli kind of separate themselves on that last kind of uphill section before you turn right. And mm -hmm. that from that right hand turn to the finish line is over a kilometer. It's probably about a kilometer and a half before you actually go into the walls of Quebec there. And um, once those guys looked around, I mean, you have Sagan, Greg Van Evermet, Alaphilippe and Cabrelli. Right. I don't think any of them were uber confident that they could take that that sprint from from there. So that slowing of that pace and that tactical kind of cat and mouse allowed the rest of the group that had been slightly distanced from them on that last acceleration back into the mix. And we saw Peter Sagan on the front and we rarely see him stuck, you know, riding shotgun normally he, he he doesn't normally have many teammates around but like you rarely see him at a position like that and you could just yeah. see him like you know waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and that allowed uh michael matthews to kind of catch back onto the group and then just kind of sprint on the totally opposite side of the road but Sagan still got second by taking that from riding shotgun. That's that's impressive. And, you know, Greg Van Evermet came through. Uh, Diego Elisi was there. Jesper Stuyven. I mean, these are all guys that you would expect to see in a finish like this. And they all just put their names back into the hat for, you know, who's going to be world champion this year. And it seemed in that group of five guys when they when they got away, exactly that. They all, no one wanted to take each other to the line. Um, and it was all, it was almost a little bit too like kind of peacocking. They're all sort of checking each other out as opposed to, to really giving it you know, or anyone committing. Um, and we saw Michael, uh, Michael Matthews able to, to seize that opportunity for a nice win there. So another few characters have been thrown, throwing their hats into the ring for the, uh, the worlds later this year. Michael Matthews is hungry. And this time yeah, of year, in this time of year, coming into the world championships, you got to be hungry. So um, yeah, he's definitely one of the multi multiple favorites that I have on my list for the world championships. Absolutely, I want to know too. Like it's his first race since the tour, and he comes out and wins it. Um, I remember a few years ago he did the same first, like the prologue of uh, Paris Nice, hadn't raced all year. First race of the season wins the prologue of Paris Nice. So he's one of those guys that can really obviously prepare himself super well. It doesn't necessarily need racing. Um, and it just shows you that he's obviously done good prep because he, uh, yeah, he won his first race back. So exciting, exciting for the weeks ahead. Freshness is massive this time of year to be yeah. fresh, to come off of a, a block and be physically and especially mentally fresh that he was. Um, it's paramount this time of year. The GP Montreal uh, a couple of days later on the Sunday. This year, um, another beautiful city circuit, uh, quite hilly. This year they added two more laps to the course, so it, it extended that race out quite a bit. But it still came down, you know, there was a bit of speculation as to what sort of a uh, what sort of a group would come down to the finish, but it was, uh, yeah, it was still quite a big group there. And uh, we saw Greg Van Averme at the head at the finish. Yeah, this race seems to be a little bit more selective. Um, but if you didn't think, if you didn't put Greg Van Evermet on the top of your list for the World Championships, then you better do it right now. He mm. had two great, great races finishing off with this one. But I, I have to give a, a shout out to the French rider Benoit Cosafroy. He mm -hmm. was super strong in Quebec. And he was away for a long time um, there in, in the finale, only to be caught by Alaphilippe, his, his countryman, right? Yeah. And in that kind of downhill section before the, the, the hard U-turn, Alaphilippe, you know, I think it was kind of sitting on. And if they would have worked together there, you got to wonder what would have happened. And then, you know, they go through the U-turn, they come out, the group kind of swells, and that's where Greg was able to take over. But, you know, this, this rider from AG2R, uh, he's riding very, very well this year. Interesting. He could be um, just a danger man, it seems. Uh, 
in uh, like you know they set that one ring or two rings outside of the favorites uh, but one of those guys that can sneak away with you know 15 20k to go and maybe just get that get that gap that he needs um coming for the worlds in a couple of weeks but yeah i mean again yesterday you saw all those hitters there all the same all the same guys that we saw on friday uh being aggressive alaphilippe very aggressive He's looking good. Um, that attack, both attacks that he did over the weekend, to show that he's got um, plenty of kick. Yeah. At the end of these races, which is which is obviously important, um, but shows that he's feeling good and, and obviously quite fresh as well. Yeah, I also liked to see uh, Michael Valgren uh, finishing in, in yeah. fifth place. Michael Valgren is a super strong rider. He didn't have the best tour. Um, he he definitely kept his motivation going. He's starting to ride super well. And if you remember a couple years ago, back in the Worlds in um, in Spain, this guy almost made it with um, the uh, Kwiatkowski, the guy that actually mm. won. This guy was away on his own, looked like he was going to win. Kwiatkowski came up to him, and Valgren was just like a motorcycle that day. So he's another guy that's starting to uh, put his head you know, throw his hat into the ring a little bit for the world. So it'd be exciting to, to watch him progress over these next couple of weeks. Yeah, I just want to note Diego Ulysses as well. He was up there on both days. Yeah. And he's sort of, you haven't heard much from him over the last couple of years. But uh, he, yeah, he's very um, established bike rider. And good to see him at the pointy end of, of these races. It's been a while since we've seen him. So, um you know, if it's not the Worlds, then it'll be some of those Italian one-day races uh, coming up that we have culminating in uh, Lombardia. So we could see him uh, pull a big result, I think, um, which would be good. Which would be good to see that. Bobby, before we get into the week that was in the Vuelta, let's hear from our sponsor. Today's episode of Fizzo is made possible with the support of Cyrus, a manufacturer of bike accessories committed to making their products in Madison, Wisconsin, USA. Makers of car racks, bike infrastructure, bike trainers, Cyrus's origins are firmly rooted in an unwavering dedication to the bicycle. And more importantly, the quest to set cyclists free to get in touch with the world around them. Whether riding to and from work in a virtual environment or wherever the compass may lead, Cyrus's range of products have freed millions to experience the power of the bike and ride without limits. To learn more, visit cyrus.com. Now, Bobby, it's time for the week that was in the Vuelta. And as it has been every week, and we say this all the time, it's been unpredictable. It's been fantastic. Uh, but before we look at the men's race, there was the women's race, the, the Madrid Challenge uh, down in Madrid, the two-day race, which was, um, which was a, an ITT and then a road race. How'd they play out? Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that they're starting to you know, make a, a women's race at the end. Obviously, they can't do the whole tour of Spain, but uh, to have them in Madrid and, and put them in the in the forefront, I thought was was great. Um, the the time trial was a, a pretty short one, but uh, Lisa Brenauer from from Germany won ahead of Lucinda Brand and Pernil Matheson in um, in the first stage of the race. The second stage of the race was uh, won by Chloe Hosking. Um, in front of Leticia, I'm not going to get this name right, Patrozer and Roxanne yeah. Fournier from, from France. So Leticia was from Italy. And yeah, the overall was taken by, by Lisa Brenauer in front of Lucinda Brand and Pernille Matheson. So good work, ladies. Yeah, and I think that uh, I know the Tour de France has sort of said it would be impossible to run an event, a women's event, uh, concurrently with that race, but I think they have to. They have to do something. We need to see. Uh, we need to see women's Roubaix. We need to see women's Tour de France. We need to see some of these. Um, yeah, more of these. These men's races have the uh, equivalent women's race. So good to see that expanding and uh, and great racing there as well. Let's go back to Wednesday, September 11, and the first stage. Uh, of the final week after the rest day, 219.6 k's long, flat. Before the Vuelta, Bobby, you said uh, there's always you, – you, you were like – you didn't really want to speculate on some of these routes because you like – you look at the profile and you look at the map and it looks straightforward, but 
one of those roads is going to be like on an open exposed plane or like, you know, it'll be rough and tight and narrow and, uh, and you know, so like anything could happen. And I think that epitomized exactly what you said uh, on Wednesday's stage because, man, it just went, it just went to pieces straight away. Yeah, there was a 47 rider breakaway get off the front and Nairo Quintana was in there. 47 riders. I don't know how or why Jumbo Visma allowed that to happen. That was so dangerous. I mean, 47 riders, that's (laughs) over, what, a a third of the peloton going up the road right from the gun. I don't know if maybe the legs were a little bit tired because they had the rest day and decided that, hey, it's going to be an easy day. We won't ride so much. But um, that, man, I'm still shaking my head. Yeah. You know, there, there were rumors of big wins that day, and his team just got caught out. <laughs> exactly. But, imagine, if, imagine if Valverde was in that group. Uh, oh. You know, all of a sudden, this, <laughs> the world comes down to a handful of seconds, not, uh, not a few minutes. Yeah, they're going through the list, you know, over the radio, announcing the riders in the breakaway. And what if number 47 of 47 was yeah. Alejandro Valverde? But, I mean, they, <laughs> they had eyes on, on the big favorites. But uh, lucky for Jumbo Visma, there were other teams that had something to lose in there and did a lot of big work on the front as well. Or yeah, Nairo absolutely. maybe would have had more than five and a half minutes at the finish line. Um, I bet there were numerous teams pissing themselves a bit because Nairo was up there. I mean, he wound up jumping from sixth up to second uh, anyway with all those teams chasing behind him and, and helping Jumbo Visma. But, um, yeah. you know, when Movistar attacked... And, you know, we, 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 we knew that something was going to have to happen there at the end. And it was, it, it, Rolick was, was, was by himself. They, they just, I think that like, I don't know, they just really had a brain fade um, after riding, you know, immaculately every single day of this race um, and always having someone by, by Roadslick's side. But yeah, like you had to see that move coming from Movistar. And yeah, he found himself by yeah he was he found himself by himself and uh and i mean fortunately for him he's the strongest bike rider in the race and so he was quite capable um, of putting himself there but again like it just was yeah that i think they came a lot closer to losing the race that day than um than it kind of ended up playing out just 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 because they had a couple of lucky lucky breaks I guess as well. So, but did you understand yeah. those tactics there with on that roller with 40k to go when when Valverde and From, Movistar tried to break up the chase by by doing what they did there? I mean, they had Quintana up the road. I, I, I was know. I was a bit perplexed on what was going on there. I understand. Hey, listen, let, let's take all the workers out by dropping them. Yeah, and then what happens is you wind up bringing the group closer to your teammate. Back, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot going on there. And in the end, it, they came out smelling like roses because they isolated Rolich. Rolich, excuse me, that's how you yeah. pronounce his, his name officially. <laughs> um, and, and Quintana got back onto the podium. But I don't think you ever want to give somebody like Nairo Quintana the opportunity to get back in the race. And like I said, he jumped from sixth back up to second. That was, that was a big day. But, yeah. okay. All those things aside, we got to talk about Philippe Gilbert. I mean, Dude. staying as cool as a cucumber into the final 300 meters, you know, closing the gap to Bennett, who I think panicked a little bit because that was some fantastic teamwork but between uh, Stebar and, and Philippe, right? Like, Stebar yeah. takes off. Philippe probably sitting in the back just, like, waiting to see what happened. Bennett, who is obviously the fastest within maybe the last 200 meters of the line, has to close that gap. And by doing so a little bit early, he just opens the door for Philippe Gilbert to come over the top of him. And man, Gilbert, you know, it just shows his classes again and again. And um, Mm. tactics wise, faithful teammate wise, it was it was just great to see. Yeah, and I think too, like if you watched his sprint, um, he looked he was he looked fresh. He looked strong, like it wasn't dogged. So, and that was a long stage and obviously a hard stage. 
Um, so looking forward to to the the world championships. Like he's a guy who's clearly very fit um, and and very composed, even on these long days. So, I mean, he yeah, like that was a masterclass, I think. And and poor old Bennett was stuck between a rock and a hard place there, right? And I think it just lends uh, it lends itself to to what quick quick steps kind of approach to racing over the last three seasons, which has been let's have several leaders and it doesn't matter who wins you know like but so long as someone wins um and that was yeah Stebar's uh attack there and then and then Gilbert you know taking the win was a perfect example of that where it was like they were going to win it was just a matter of with who with who with who yeah it's a big reason why they win so many races not only do they often have strength in numbers but they they seem to plan their work and work their plan uh very very well I'm sure that that Phil if Stybar would have won, I'm sure that Phil would have been just over the moon that he won. Yeah. But he had his back. And that's what makes that that wolf pack so so strong right now is they they seem genuinely happy for each other. And let's not forget there was another rider in that group, uh James Knox from from the UK. Yeah. You know, he's How's been under the radar just... and man, but another impressive ride from a, a British rider that did not take that Team Sky, Team, team Ineos route. Um, yeah. Obviously, he's quite popular on that team because they were looking after him. And, you know, he crashed during the race and they were taking care of him. He had some bad days. They were going back and consoling him. Um, we're going to have to keep an eye on this kid. I think so, too. He's definitely flown under the radar. And, um, you know, being in that, like, being aware of that spoon, like, he's a little guy. He's, he's a tiny climber you know so these these days particularly for younger guys can with, with lack of experience you know um can get knocked around and he was in that group and he was at the front all day and it was yeah it was really good to see so i think he's got a good head on him and i think um it's sort of hard because we've got pogacar we've got you know higuita like all these really young bike riders who are phenomenally good and then you know so like we Whereas once upon a time, like 23, 24 was, was very, very young. We're now seeing guys win the Tour de France, but now at 22. So I think that like he just needs to keep staying his path and just keep building. And I think what you find if, you know, the guys who sort of still develop more slowly, they'll be more, more resilient. They'll be more robust. They'll have, you know, they'll just have like a slightly, slightly more experience across the board in the sport as opposed to just going straight to the leader. Um, so yeah, I think he's definitely going to, going to have a few big wins surely coming within the next year or two. Absolutely. But, um, you know, this was supposed to be that flat transition kind of easier day, right? And they wound up doing a 200 kilometer plus team time trial, regardless of what group they were in. Yeah, it was the fastest stage ever raced longer than 200 K. Wow. Wow. And, (laughs) And just imagine how tired they were with that, uh, you know, coming into the mountain day. Let's talk about stage 18. Yeah, I just want to note, before we hit stage 18, though, we're seeing this more and more often. The flat, windy days are becoming decisive in the Grand Tours. Uh, We saw it at the Tour de France. Um, We saw it here. Well, it ended up not being quite so um, consequential. But, yeah, it's interesting to see that that, uh, teams are looking, you know, you can gain big time. You can gain huge time, five and a half minutes. Yeah, so stage They're unpredictable. They're unpredictable. With with mountain stages, you can calculate things a little bit better. Flat stages, you can never calculate what happens when a group just gets blown to bits from from the gun. But I have to say that I thought they were going to stop sooner or later. I didn't think that they would go that fast all the way to the end. Um, And there we are, treated to a special stage. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, Very cool. And then... Stage 18, also very cool. Four huge climbs, downhill run to the finish. And our favorite little guy from, uh, from the Tour of California, Higuita from EF Education. What a day. I will say he's our second favorite guy from yeah, Tour of true, California. True, true. Because true. Tajay Pogachar is my man. But yeah, <laughs> Sergio Higuita, just, he, he was not even a pro or on a, a world tour team until, you know, Tour of California. And now he's winning, you know, going on a long haymaker of a breakaway, uh, attacking yeah. all of his breakaway companions and, and winning a grand stage in La Vuelta. 
another kid coming out of Columbia that, uh, you know, all of his teammates said from the beginning of the race when they had a lot of bad luck that they're staying positive. They're they're working for Sergio Aguita. Uh, Sergio Aguita is a great guy. He's always got a smile on his face. And he repaid them in spades by by getting a stage win. After what happened to Education First in the first mm. week of the, the Vuelta, um, they could have just packed up their bags and went home. But those five guys that finished, man, congratulations. You came out with not only Lawson and Craddock riding super throughout, but then a stage win with Ser- Sergio Higuita. Absolutely. And in the race for the uh, for the GC, we saw Superman Lopez. He was a little lackluster, I would say, in the second week. But, mate, uh, he found his legs and he, he, took, yeah, he took the race on, decimating that field with 60K to go. Well, Astana grabbed the, you know, decimated that field, launched Lopez. Sepp Kuss, who's just riding beyond his skin, uh, was there and, and, and was able to bring back Lopez by the foot of the final climb. So, I mean, it was, yeah, you, you saw the Lopez that we saw in the first week, I think. And, mate, like, again, Rojlik, he had the team, he had the guys there and he didn't panic. Uh, Sepp Kuss just brought it back. Yeah, Valverde yeah. was strong. Uh, Micah yep. was the best that we saw him up until that point as well, making that front group. And um, the one guy that um, suffered a little bit was was Tajay Pogachar. Yeah. And right then and there, when I saw him getting distanced, I started to think about what you said last episode of, you know, this kid is too young to get through the whole Vuelta yeah. and not have a bad day. But, um, hey, man, he righted the ship. He, he's, he lost over a minute to the Rolich Valverde Lopez Mica group. But, uh, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't lose the plot. He stayed calm, he rode within himself, and he limited his losses. He took one on the chin like a man today, uh, that, that's for sure. Um, and we'll talk about him more coming up. But Absolutely. The, the, but it wasn't disastrous, and that's the point, right? Like, yeah. like, it wasn't this, normally you see that, and it's, like, pretty catastrophic. It's, like, yeah, five, the, eight, The next 15 day, minutes. the monkey jumps on your back, and then, yeah. you know, goes on and on and on, and then, yeah then it leads to, you know, 10, 15 minute time losses. But uh, there was a little um, kind of tension in that final sprint between Rolich and, and Valverde. I mean, yeah. let's just say that Valverde in the world championship jersey just looks so elegant. And, you know, he's in Spain and he's probably thinking like, hey, you know, I'm not going to have any issues here. And then Rolich <laughs> rolls him in the sprint. Rolled him. You know, going for, you know, a two second more time bonus. But and and, and Valverde kind of looked over at him, and I, I felt some tension there. But you know, Movistar has been playing with people quite a bit this whole tour of Spain, and mm. I think it was just a comment. You know, hey, this this is this is me, and um, I'm going to be here for the rest of the race. Get used to it. Yeah, it was a pretty sick flex from uh, Rodrigo there. And yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I like seeing that. <laughs> yeah, I when like bonus seconds that. are on the line, man, how many races have we seen that come down to minimal time differences? Um, yeah. I totally, and he, he has every right in the world, even though that Alejandro is the world champion and in Spain, he has every right in the world to come behind, behind him. him. Exactly. And like, that's, I think that's, you know, that's why guys like Rogelik, that that mentality is what makes them so good. Because they're like, it doesn't matter if I have two minutes if I can get two more seconds, I'm going to take him. Um, and you have to be like that, which we're seeing more and more because these, you know, outside, like, you know, barring Rogelik, if you look at the at the top four in this race, uh, the, sorry, the, the two through five, they've constantly been switching positions on the GC. Um, so it's been like a, a really elastic race um, back, to, you know, take Rogelik out of the equation. And um, so, yeah, exactly. You, you, things can flip on the head from one day to the next and things did flip on their head well kind of on friday on the flat transfer day another transfer day across to uh the final mountain stage uh in toledo mate it's uh it was a pretty it was a pretty crazy stage too right things didn't go to plan According to plan, uh, that's just been thrown out the window this year in the Vuelta, as well as our predictions of what's going to be a flat, easy stage and what's going to be a hard stage. Um, But yeah, there was there was a lot going on in in this one. uh, No doubt about it. Uh, Maybe we should talk a little bit about, you know, the breakaway that was away. 
Um, mm-hmm. Evidently, there were some guys sitting on. There were some guys that weren't happy with that. But, you know, getting into the final there, we saw our, our boy Remy Cavagna attack and, you know, go on his own. And let's let's talk a little bit about yeah. what what happened there. Um, you know, Lawson Craddock wasn't very happy about him sitting on the break uh, before attacking. Uh, my thoughts on that is it, that's a hard one. But this happens all the time in in bike racing. I can totally understand Lawson's opinion, but if the roles were reversed, um, I think he would have been the same, done the same thing if he had Philippe Gilbert on his team. And remember, this finish was like perfect for Philippe Gilbert, that last kilometer uphill on cobbles. So again, that's the strength of of Decoinic Quickstep is they, they always have a reason to either work or not to work tactics are playing in in coming into play here and that's what makes our sport so unique you know riders should remember what remy did here and learn from it um but bottom line tactics or no tactics remy was very strong out there today and had to finish yeah. it off by doing that very hard cobbled 1k section there at the end um trying to fend off the the the, the GC riders that were sitting on in the Peloton all day long yeah. as well. And a win is a win. I mean, that tactic uh, that he used to, to sit on is going to be on his, his Palmares forever. And there's not going to be a little asterisk next to it saying that he sat on and then, you know, attack these guys with, with 25 K to go. That'll be there forever. That's the long and the short of it, isn't it? Is uh, a win's a win. Um, and he raced within the rules. But interesting, it is it is a tough one, and then and, and we we also saw a lot of emotions flare in this stage um, from bike riders, and and I think you can see when that happens when you're in the break and you've been in you know as Lawson has been five or six times over the course of this race, um, and someone does that and then wins, and you're just like ah damn, like you're almost like why didn't I just do that? Uh, and but, so yeah, you know like exactly, you're a bit like raw at the end of that, but. And I'm glad we got that out of the way, the final of the race, because that was yes. the priority, right? But yep. there was something else that went on today that was quite disturbing. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, watching Movistar um, do what they did uh, after that crash with 60K to go that, that took down a lot of the, the GC favorites, I have to say that I felt shame. Yeah, definitely. This so we should so we should just paint the picture of what of what happened. There was a big crash with with Lopez, Roglic, uh, and a bunch of other riders in the peloton on a on a on a downhill section. They hit like an oil slick or something. Um, Movistar immediately attacked the bunch uh, and split it. Obviously, the crash also split it. Um, and, and, and then applied the pace for the next 15 kilometers until the UCI comms announced that they were going to motor pace uh, the, the riders who had crashed back up to that front group. Um, and obviously then Movistar, you know, promptly uh, stopped riding uh, to a lot of backlash from the, the other riders in the peloton. We saw, um, yeah, we saw, we saw quite a few riders kind of go up there and give their peace of mind to the, to the Movistar guys. It, it was, yeah, it was, it was rude, wasn't it? It was rude. Yeah, I, I don't think it's good for the sport, for the riders or the teams to take advantage of a crash like this with 60 kilometers from the finish. You mm. know, when you're going full tilt and the race is on the line with 10K to go, 5K to go, up to that, that 3K to go sort of barrier, you know, that, that's bike racing. But I did not like that, that move. And you can say whatever you want, but this was just an obvious attempt for for Movistar to take advantage of the situation. Sure, they were up in the front, obviously, because they had everyone there after the crash. Um, But knowing that so many of the GC favorites were behind, all it would have taken is just a simple little truce until Rolic and Lopez and the rest of the riders got back to the front. But sitting up there and acting like you didn't understand what was coming through the radio, that saying that you were going to attack there anyway, I don't care. You need to yeah. stop. 
You need yeah. to put on the brakes. You know, this, yes, this is a sport, but in that situation, you benefited from a, a crash. And that far out, it wouldn't have changed, changed anything. Um, but th- th- yeah, they, in my opinion, they have no excuses. But the UCI deciding yeah. to pace the this, riders back to the this back is to an the group. One. That that's unprecedented. I've never heard of that before. No, and it's and it like it reminds you a little not reminds me, but like it gets me thinking about TJ Van Garderen in the Cali- in California and like a kind of arbitrary application of of a rule. And I mean, so in this situation, I if 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 Movistar hadn't stopped, I would agree with this rule. I would be like purely in this situation because of more my um, like more in retaliation to Movistar as opposed to like recognition of the rules of the sport. That's like emotion coming into it because yeah, like you, can, you know that was a dog move, and I think that bring the riders back. But if you're looking at the sport as a whole, and we've seen a few decisions like this um, over the past years, I don't know if it's I don't know it's dangerous. It's a it's a new world we live in, that's for sure. Um, and th- there are many of these, you know, so-called unwritten rules in cycling. But the problem is we have fewer and fewer patrons or bosses of yeah. the peloton these days. But who better than Alejandro Valverde, the reigning world champion, who, okay, I'll admit, has had some issues in the past, but has been winning races mm-hmm. for 15 years. He's the world champion. He missed an opportunity to represent that jersey and in the way that it should be represented. He could have absolutely just put the brakes on that regardless of what was coming over the radio and say, this is wrong. And he didn't do it. And I have to say, I lost some respect for him and, and his team. I know that's a hard decision, but everybody that was watching the race, everyone that was in the race knew that that was not the time to take advantage of the situation, which they did. Uh, yeah, Ab, you're 100 percent right there. I think that uh, the you know the the riders passing the buck on to are uh, we getting you know the the call coming over the radio from management it wasn't our choice. You know sometimes you just got to uh, sack up and uh, and you know <laughs> choose right from wrong. But anyway, nevertheless, ultimately um, Lopez and uh, Rojlik will at least post stage didn't seem to be too injured, didn't seem to suffer any serious injuries from those from from those crashes and were obviously able to finish in that group. So there was no, uh, yeah, no one sort of was unfairly disadvantaged by that accident. Um, We did see Lopez, (laughs) like, get pretty fired up uh, post-stage and then promptly, um, excuse me, promptly uh, apologise to to Valverde and Movistar. Um, He's a fiery one. Well, after after something like this, which was an obvious uh, misstep by Movistar. I, I can't blame them. And I can only no, I like imagine it. that if the UCI wouldn't have said that they were going to do that, because that's the only that's the only reason why Movistar stopped. They would have ridden all exactly. the way to the finish like that and just blown the race apart, right? Um, but I guarantee there would have been punches thrown at the end of that race if they let if that, that happen. If that had gone like that, yeah. And it, it kind of scares me a little bit with the UCI hand of God, you know, intervening right there. Um, I, I think it should have been made, that decision should have been made by Movistar saying, you know what, this is wrong. I'm sure their phones were blowing up. I'm sure they were getting threat, threatened over the race radio. Yeah. I'm sure cars were coming up and just, you know, throwing water bottles at them <laughs> saying, what are you doing? Um, but yeah. I I don't want to get too to uh, go too long on this topic, but it is it is the sport that we're in nowadays that win at all costs sort of situation. Mm. Um, but yeah, let's put this in the rear view and and move on to what was an amazing stage twenty Final mountain stage, dude. Wasn't this just an absolute uh, cracker of a final mountain stage? It was wet. There was mist. The mountains were foreboding, and we had the most unlikely of champions and one of the most astounding rides to put them to put themselves back onto the podium of a bike race that I've ever seen. Forget the fact that he's not even 21 yet. And that was a ride by Pogacar. 
Yeah, we mentioned that this was the the stage for for all the marbles, right? This was yep. going to be this was going to be the big one. And if some of those guys in 6th, 5th, 4th uh wanted to get on the podium, they they were going to have to start throwing some Hail Marys out there. It started off Lopez did just that. Yeah. And he was attacking constantly, putting everyone under pressure, making them kind of nervous. Remember, this is the second last day of the Tour of Spain. Everyone's exhausted. And then Pogacar just decided to take advantage. And and instead of swinging haymakers or throwing Hail Marys, he just went for the knockout punch. Um, you know, we all know that what it takes to to do what he did and to be the kind of rider that he is. Um, to do this takes talent. We all know that he has this. I mean, especially his team that signed him on to a five-year deal. It takes resistance to fatigue, obviously. This is the second to last day of the Vuelta. It takes mm -hmm. patience. It takes confidence. But it also takes, and I don't know how you say balls in Slovenian, but it yeah. takes balls. And yeah. let's just say he has balls as big as church bells to do what he did today. <laughs> I mean, the guy's not even 20 yet. He's not even 20. He turns 20 next week. You know, he, he, was, he was winning the, the, the Tour Avenir last year. You know, like this it's kid, mind blowing. It, it is, it is absolutely like just... mind blowing. Um, I don't think the others made a mistake by letting him go. Um, I don't think. Did they... you think they couldn't follow? I don't think so. I don't think because tactically... like, Lopez hit them hard early, and they all looked like they were pretty gassed, right? And then he just sort of Pogacar just kind of snuck away, and then S and then like like snuck away, and then next thing it was like oh like alarm stations he's got a minute and a half like he got a minute and a half like can, but can you believe can you believe they're, they're probably thinking hey this guy's gonna get 20 seconds up the road realize how far it is to go who's chasing him and and, and, is, yeah. and just play it a little bit more more safe but he had nothing to lose right in in his mind his 19 year old mind uh the rest of us were like oh my gosh what are you doing yeah and, too much to risk but bottom line is we were witness to a special moment in cycling with a special rider who does things a little bit differently. Rip up mm. that script of looking at your power meter, listening to the radio, doing all these calculations in your head. Do what 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 Pogachar did was nothing but one of the most phenomenal rides of the year. You know, he yeah. he he rode his bike as fast as he could. Yep. If you weren't a fan of this kid before, you better jump on the back of the bandwagon because we're going to see a lot of him in the future. And, you know, we said the same thing during the Tour de France with, with Bernal. So yeah. many young and exciting riders these days winning the world's biggest races. I believe it's what's going to help take the sport of road cycling that I must admit has been in a little bit of a rut these last mm -hmm. couple of years to, to that next level. We want to see Bernal. We want to see Vanderpool. We want to see Evan Poel. We want Van Aert, Godou, Lopez. Th that's just to name a few. Right. But man, that was awesome. And Tajay Potokar, he almost rode his way. He had he almost rode his way into second overall GC. He had the world champion, 39 year old Alejandro Valverde pissing in his pants in that last had basically had to take had to the reins full, on just, his own. Yeah. Or he would yeah. have been second. And I'm yeah. so happy. We talked about this last episode. I said that he was going to be on the podium. I never thought he'd win three mountaintop finishes attack the way he did in order to get it but just shows that you know like a boxer you know he may get hit he may fall down but he gets back up off the mat and acts like nothing happened and and just go and that's that's goes. the most remarkable thing about his ride i think is that he you know even after losing time you know in the last couple of days like he might Normally, you would just be like, I'm just going to ride it in, like save my fifth place and, uh, and just hope that I don't have a shit day. But he, was, he just went for it. Um, and like, like that, so that, that resilience, mental resilience to be able to come back uh, and at that age is, is very impressive. Um, so, yeah, this guy's going to, uh, guy's going to win some, some big races very soon. Stage 21, the final stage of the Vuelta, uh, 106 kilometers, 
into Madrid. Bit of a procession, uh, but an unlikely winner. Well, sort of unlikely winner. Yeah, I mean, don't forget he won stage four this year as well. Yeah. Um, another another great lead out by the Wolfpack, leading out Jakobsen for another stage win. So in what a final t- 10 days of the Vuelta the coin at quick step has had they've had four stages in the last four stage wins in the last 10 stages with three different riders and and five wins overall um and here we are at the finish of the third grand tour of the year and i just can't believe like where this whole last three weeks have gone where where this whole season has gone but like i said before you know from the, the guys have brought their a game the racing has been phenomenal and you know even on a on a sprint day that ends in Madrid, Monday morning, like we're recording right now, it's like, wait a second, I want more, I want more. And luckily, yeah. we do have more coming down the pipe. But for me, bottom line, this Vuelta was much, much more exciting than expected. Sure, we didn't have the big, you know, Chris Frome there, the Garrett Thomas, the the Bernal, but the 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 actors, the riders that were in this race gave us one hell of a show. Man, they did. And I think like what what I really loved about this was that kind of like throw caution to the wind that all of the teams seemed to to employ um, and and try some kind of pretty out there tactics. And it made it just made for better racing. It made for the, the course, obviously, like um, the way that the, the climbing stages have been positioned throughout the entire race, um, I think has been really tantalizing for fans at, to watch it because you're like, oh, sweet. I can watch a sprint stage, but I don't have to watch like 10 in a row and then get five mountain stages. You know, it's kind of been broken up a little bit across the, the board and it means that the fatigue level's different throughout the race as well. So there's more chances for, for break race and stuff. So yeah, uh, it was a great race. And to see Rojlik, um finally climb on the top top step of, the, of, the, uh, of a Grand Tour. Well, not finally. I mean, he's sort of pretty rapidly ridden, risen uh, to prominence, but uh, after the Giro. Man, it was yeah, it's a great race. Yeah, let, let, just to recap the final, you know, podium, right? Yep. We had Primoz Rolish, an ex ski jumper, finally avoiding that final week collapse in Grand Tours and winning his first Grand Tour. Alejandro Valverde, the current world champion at age of thirty nine, finishing second in one of the most exciting Vueltas in a long time, and mm-hmm. the youngest rider in the race. I, uh, so so Valverde was the oldest, the youngest rider in the race, Tajay. Pogachar, uh, like I said, he'll turn 20 on September 21st. So he's 19 years old as, as he's on the podium of this race. And only time will tell what, what, what he can do in the future. Um, the, the, the points jersey was also run by, won by Rolish. Podakar was second and Sam Bennett was, was third. It's quite often that in the Vuelta, the GC riders wind up picking up that, that yeah. green jersey. The young rider, obviously, Pogachar won that uh, with a two-minute buffer over Lopez. James Knox, James Knox was third in that competition. He was a little bit further behind, but um, he he learned a lot this race. The mountains jersey was won by Geoffrey Bouchard with a pretty commanding um, lead over second place Mandrazo, uh, who was animating the first week of the Vuelta. And in the team's competition, we had Movistar winning the team classification by more than 50 minutes over Astana. Jumbo Visma finished third, more than two hours behind. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, Movistar have that one sewn up. The Movistar Cup, it's because <laughs> all their riders are racing each other. They, they seem to enjoy that competition quite a bit. Yeah, so it was um, a fantastic race and it's leading into, you know, with the, the, the races in Quebec, the Tour of Britain, kind of the last tune-up races before the world champs in a couple of weeks. Um, it's going to be an interesting and pretty open race. I think uh, I was actually recently up and rode part of the course uh, of the world champs and it's windy and it's wet and the roads are tight and rough. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be a grueling day at 280Ks, but we will get to that next week. Uh, so please tune in then when we'll do a preview show of the world championships Road race, time trial um, coming up. So that'll be cool. Uh, But for today, that's all we have. Uh, But before we go, we've got a a question from one of our fans. 
Uh, each week we're giving away a pair of Fizzo socks, so please write in to the show, uh, superfan at velonews.com. Send us an email with any questions or get at Bobby Julik or myself on Instagram. It's bobby.julik and at that is Gus. So today's question, uh, how are the team cars divided when there's a split in the peloton? For example, today's stage, which was the uh, stage 16, um, when Mobistar had four guys in the break, how is it decided which team car goes to the front and do they have to switch out bikes to that car with the, so the breakaway doesn't take Valverde's bike with them and Naro's bike isn't left behind in the peloton, as an example? Bobby, there's quite a lot of shuffling that does go on, isn't there? And this is a bit of a logistical, uh, well, logistical genius when you get it right, but uh, complex. Yeah, normally it was a little bit easier to deal with than, you know, 47 guys in in the breakaway. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) normally the breakaways are 5 to 15, but 47 was a lot. So I'm sure there was some chaos there. But yes, um, it's, it's very simple. The... You have two cars in the Peloton. Sometimes you have three, but um, not anymore. And so if there's, if the leader goes up the road, then that normally means that uh, that's the front group and, and the first director would go up there and you wouldn't have to change bikes or anything like that. But when, when there's another group that goes up the road, um, normally, well, especially in the Vuelta, the, each, each car has the rider's bikes on there. So it's not like uh, Valverde has all his bikes on car one. You know, he's got mm-hmm. a bike on car one. He's got a bike on car two um, in a race like this. So that would simply be once those numbers come over the radio, they realize who's up there. If there's one bike that's not on that car that is on the first car and not on the second car, they'll pull over to the side of the road and put that one up there. Um, like I said, when you have that many guys in the breakaway of 47, it doesn't happen too often. And yeah, they just go up and, and, and take the space uh, behind the, behind the lead group. The hard thing is in these smaller races, when you don't have all this extra equipment around that, it is a little bit of a shuffling around, you know, you may have to put somebody's bike or, you know, from the first car to the second car, but you know, these guys are so you know, used to this sort of thing that, that it actually happens quite quickly. But there's, there's also things that you have to remember is, you know, who's going up the road. If the team doctor is sitting in the second car, like he normally does, um, do you really want him going to the front or does he need to jump into the first car and stay with the, the back of the group? Cause that's normally where, where he has to deal with things. Uh, there's so many questions. Um, I really like this question, but there's no simple answer. Um, a lot of it is just kind of organized chaos right there on the spot. And yeah. the good thing is, you know, you can obviously go a lot faster in a car than on a bicycle. So if you do make a mistake, you can pull over to the side of the road. You can wait for the, for the, for the Peloton to catch you, you know, put that extra piece of equipment in there and then blast back up to the breakaway. Bobby, you mentioned team doctors. Um, and, and I, th- I think like a lot of the listeners will be like, well, why do you need uh, a team you know, why do you need to switch the team doctor and, and et cetera? And, and you have like a really interesting example of this um, with Team Sky and uh, Alex Dowsett. Yeah. Uh, so, gosh, let me think back. That was 2011, I believe. Uh, Chris Frome got into the breakaway. I was second driving the second car with the doctor, uh, blasted up past the Peloton up to support Chris. And all of a sudden I look to my right and I see the doctor in the car and I asked him, I said, are you sure you want to be in this car with me? Like we didn't really think about it. And he's like, yeah, why? And I remembered that Alex Dowsett is um, a hemophiliac and he was behind us and the doctor was in front of the race with me. So this, this caused a little bit of panic. And what we wound up doing is deciding that, uh, he needed to either be dropped off on the side of the road and picked up by the car following the Peloton, following Alex. And honestly, not more than 10 minutes when we were trying to make the decision of what we do and how we do it, uh, 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 it comes over the race radio that there's a crash and that Alex Dowsett is down. And it was 
pure panic because we knew that we made that mistake. And um, I guarantee that won't happen again. There's always got to be a plan for a rider in that condition that he has the doctor behind him at all times. But this was very, very early in his career. And I didn't really understand it. And um, but but now there's definitely that sort of protocol for for riders that have any sort of medical conditions like that, that the doctor has to stay behind them at all times. Yeah, so there's a lot that goes into, uh, you know, leapfrogging with, with team cars when they go up to and from the breakaway and a lot that needs to be thought about in the spur of the moment. Yeah. Bobby, uh, fantastic show. Thank you very much. Uh, to our listeners as well, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast. It's now in its own, uh, under its own name on Apple Podcasts. Put your socks on. So just type that into the search bar, uh, click subscribe, vote, uh, and give us a rating and uh, leave us a comment. Uh, get in touch with us if you want uh, with any questions that you have, superfan at velonews.com um, or at Bobby or myself on social media. And guys, until next week in the preview show, thank you very much. Thanks, Gus, and everyone out there listening. Looking really forward to the rest of the season that we have coming up. Uh, the world championships are going to be great. The American team has some very talented riders across the board, which we'll get into depth next Monday. So have fun out there. And as always, don't forget to put your socks on. <laughs>